0: this is the market we're talking about, the new Negro family. Their name is Wells or Wilson, Smith or Brown or Alexander or Breen. They live in Chicago, in Atlanta or New York, in Detroit, St. Louis, Los Angeles, any one of a thousand cities and towns. All over the country, families such as this are enjoying new prosperity. They have new interests, new standards of living, a buying power they've never enjoyed before. They're good prospects for practically all types of goods and services. According to Nielsen Research, the buying
1: power of black Americans is expected to exceed $1.5 trillion by 2021.
0: What? Our buying power, Our buying makes, power us makes us one of the largest, one largest one economies, economies in, in the world. world.
2: Welcome to the Made You Look podcast, episode number three, with me, Deontay. In an interview published in March 2019 by Diversity Inc., Andrew McCaskill, Vice President of Global Communications and Multicultural Marketing with Nielsen at that time, said the following, if African Americans were a global economy, we would be the 15th largest economy in the world. He goes on to say, the best way people give up their power is is by not thinking they have any. Although McCaskill makes it clear buying power and wealth are not the same things earlier in that interview, that gets drowned out by his later statements, resulting in the misleading belief that if only black America would invest their trillion plus dollars in buying power into black businesses, black America could shop its way to complete freedom. With me to break down exactly why buying power does not by itself lead to the equality and equity that has been intentionally denied African-Americans is Dr. Jared Ball. He is a father and husband. After that, he is a professor of communication studies at Morgan State University in Baltimore, Maryland, and is founder slash curator of imixwhatilike.org, a multimedia hub of emancipatory journalism and revolutionary beat reporting. Dr. Ball is also the author of the myth and propaganda of black buying power, which was published by Pelgrave publishing earlier this year. Dr. Ball, thank you once again for joining us here on the major look podcast, your book, the myth and propaganda, of black buying power directly confronts and makes a comprehensive case against the popular idea that as a collective, black Americans have between 1.2 and 1.6 trillion dollars of economic power that if harnessed correctly could bring about the equality and equity black Americans deserve and desire. That particular talking point is advanced by some black Americans in the academy in the boardrooms, and in media. Why should Black Americans believe you over the studies, the scholars, the business people, and the journalists slash media personalities? What is it about the American economic order you believe they are misunderstanding, and how can you prove it? Well, I appreciate that uh, initial question, and of course being
0: invited on the program to talk about it. well, one way I would try to answer that question
1: uh, because I acknowledge how wild it sounds to suggest that that, that I alone standing against all of this uh, <laughs> uh, history and all these people uh, would be this, the, the the only one who's right. Uh, but when it comes specifically and only to the concept of buying power, uh, in many cases, that's unfortunately correct. But I wouldn't put it as why should anyone believe me as Jared Ball? I would encourage people to, whereas I would argue it, I would say I wouldn't want people to believe the evidence mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to uh, any one individual or personality. So, what I've shown in the book is that if people simply uh, lift the hood, as it said, and look for the origins of the claims, they'll see that they all go back to one singular source, which is the Selig Center mm-hmm. in Georgia, and that if they look at the, the ways that the Selig Center develops those numbers, uh, they'll see, as I've outlined, and well, actually more than outlined, as I've shown in the book, that the, they'll see that those numbers are more or less... Uh, well, as they say themselves, projections and estimates. So they're not based in any real or sound economic analysis or study or data. They are marketing projections meant to wed white corporate, ad- well, in the case of black buying power, white corporate advertisers to black commercial media. Uh, and power only means the ability to buy what is available for purchase, and often in this case, owned by someone else. It has nothing to do with
2: the actual economic strength or, or power. Now, the Selig Center, can, can you drill down on that a little more, the Selig Center in Georgia? You literally talk about in the book their stated purpose and, and, and releasing their so-called buying power numbers, which is pretty much for for, for Georgians um, to, to be aware of who has the quote-unquote, power to buy products, so to speak. If, if I'm paraphrasing, of course, but can you drill down on that a little bit? Well, again, it's, it's,
1: you know, when I just started investigating the, this claim of buying power, I just kept coming into this one cited source, which is the selling center. So it was, a, it was just a simple search, and then over the years, looking into it a little more closely and then reading their own reports, which are hidden or, or kept, I should say, behind the $125 paywall. Hmm. Uh, um, uh, I just learned a little bit more about them and the the Selig Center is specifically target elements of the communities that they want to reach. So in this case, buying power is meant to measure what black people spend uh, on what products, and then to help the people who produce and own those products to market those products to black people. The problem is I'm sure we'll talk about throughout this conversation is that those reports have been misreported, misinterpreted, and because of a really unfortunately incestuous business relationship with the black commercial press have been reported and circulated without vetting, without accuracy and honesty, uh, and then picked up by black people across the political spectrum uh, without vetting and without, without checking the data, which is again, going back to your first question, how so many different people could reach conclude that this claim is real Uh, leaving, as it seems, only me to to come out and say that it's not. But it's really only a matter of how many people actually just look at where the claims come from and how they're evolved. It's not that I am a singular particular genius. It's just that (laughs) I'm
2: the only one who just looked up, you know, looked for the references and the citations, which is what researchers, journalists, and academics are supposed to do. Now, you talked about the misreporting, um, misrepresenting, of that, of that claim that, that myth of the black buying power, um, where, where does true economic strength come from? what are the the elements in our society that gives one, um, economic strength? Well, I mean, to go back to the old adage of Karl Marx, it's, it's correct that the power is in the means of production, not in consumption. So wealth, uh, is measured in, Mostly, at
1: least in capital and assets, uh, in, in 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 other words, products that produce income for the owner without that owner that person having to do work. That's what capital does. It allows you to earn money off of other people's labor. That's wealth. So if you own land and own stocks and own the, as as I would also agree with Marx, the mental means of production, that is the ability to promote those products and to promote the ideas that would support the sale and production of those products. If you own, as it, I think it's important to add, and I talk a little bit about in the book, if you own the political apparatus that gives you the uh, trade deals you need, the tariff mm-hmm. deals that you need, mm-hmm. the regulations, the banking regulations, the interest rates that you need, if the the policies that determine how wealth is made and where it goes in society. If you, if you own these apparatuses, that's wealth. Uh, And to their credit, as the Terry college business reports uh, produced as buying power reports, uh, which are again, marketing and advertising materials, as they state, honestly, themselves, these are not meant to be measurements of the actual economic condition of black people or anybody else. They are projections that and estimates using their own words to help advertisers match their ad revenue. And they're not based in anything real at all. In fact, uh, as I point out, black people only earn collectively about $800 billion a year. So how could it be said to be powerful to be spending more than that every year on products that black people do not own when
0: do not control? Uh, the 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 production or wealth uh,
1: or, or profit from this is again why you know as we talk a little bit about it, uh, or as I talk a little bit about it in the book and others have talked that I reference a lot more about the black economic condition in this country is you know you don't need me to tell you is horrible right. and it's getting worse now so uh, um, the idea that there's somehow this economic strength that would that exists if if only black people were not quote unquote financially illiterate. Is again part of the fantasy and mythology here, um, but uh, but essentially that's that's how in, in microcosm uh, all of this is is,
2: is uh, designed and, and meant to function. Now you you uh, mentioned um, the 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 elements of wealth of you know land, stock, um, capital, things of that nature uh, being true um, formulations of uh, economic economic power. Um, There's another report that you hear referenced a lot and especially in uh, by media personalities and journalists in regards to that whole black buying power thing, which is that one trillion dollar buying power uh, figure that is given. And it's that Nielsen report. Is that Nielsen report, to your knowledge at all, taking into account any of those things, capital, um, land, stocks, uh, things of that nature?
1: No. So, again, I mean, I talk about Nielsen in the book, too, because really, and I talk about Nielsen and Selig mm-hmm. as the modern purveyors. Yep. The myth is sort of a dual-headed monster here. But, Absolutely. But really, it's the Selig Center, because Nielsen is only, <laughs> if you, if you did the Nielsen reports, and in fact, just this week, I've been tweeting a little bit about it to try to just show people in mm-hmm. real time how it works. Just this week, two, uh, quote-unquote, reports or, or news reports have come out. Referencing uh, the very Nielsen report from last year that I reference in my book and explain as being, uh, you know, fraudulent for lack of a better term. Uh, there, two news stories just this past week referencing an, a, an old report from from Nielsen, making claims about buying power. But if you read the report itself, which again, few journalists, uh, some who I've even interacted with, seem willing to do. Uh, the reports themselves are very clear. Uh, they are also based on survey data and then uh, used as their buying power claim reference to the selling Center. So Nielsen does <laughs> Nielsen just helps regurgitate the claim often because they are partnering with black commercial press and media outlets who benefit from the claim that black people have this much money because then they can turn around, and charge white advertisers more money to advertise in in, in their media spaces, uh, with the idea that black people can actually afford the products that are being marketed. But uh, so again, it it creates this echo chamber of, of unreality that that causes so much of this confusion. But again, so again, this is really the beauty why propaganda is in the title of the book. Mm-hmm. This
0: is this is a modern day sophisticated operation, propaganda operation.
1: Uh, that allows for messaging to be developed from, in this case, literally a single source and disseminated throughout an entire media
2: environment without anyone raising any questions. Now, it is that, 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 that word you used and the power of that propaganda that will have some listeners hearing what you're saying right now and rejecting it outright because it is the opposite of what they have been told for so long. And- one of the things that surprised me in reading your book was that I was shocked at how far back this myth goes. Um, you referenced in in your in your book, you referenced um, a comments by a uh, lawyer, black female lawyer, the first uh, bleak black female lawyer, I believe. Um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. ah uh, L- Lutie. Little, is it Ludi Little, in 1897 and of course you reference in your book 1904 Government Cost of Living Studies. Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. So
1: again, I, you know, I, I was in many ways as shocked as you to, to, to learn all of this, but uh, uh, if you if you weren't, so really what we've been talking about up to this point is the, the modern version uh, of the myth and how it's developed and disseminated and propagated but it does as you point out uh, have a longer history uh, and it really goes back even before the concept was sort of weaponized uh, by by elite uh, politicians and, and government officials uh, and then worse I think more so weaponized by the black commercial press uh, in the 1950s but going back to the beginning from the moment again from the moment black people, as has ever been the case with African people in this country, whenever there's the slightest bit of room to breathe, deep breaths are taken. So at the first sight of a chance for there to be a business class to develop uh, for Black people, for some Black people, to, to make money off of, quote-unquote, newly gained freedoms uh, economically and socially and politically in this country and, and during and after Reconstruction in particular, Uh, Black business leaders started saying, look, we spend X amount of dollars on X amount of products every year. Uh, We have buying power, spending power, and as a black business class, we just want to capture that money. Uh, Similarly, activists started to, to attach themselves to those concepts as well across, again, the political spectrum, from Du Bois to Garvey. Uh, uh and as i quote in the book that's one of the few points where they actually agreed and garvey made a joke about it right. was late to realize <laughs> right. but again so 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 the business so so and and so the beauty the functionality of the myth from the perspective of the myth's sustainability is that it's malleable it's 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 you can it's 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 it, it affixes itself to any situation so the black business class says look Black people are spending all this money, we can capture that money and make money for ourselves, providing those business services. Uh, black activists uh, from the the, the the more, I guess, so-called left, like Du Bois, said we can use that money to redistribute it through collectives and cooperatives to... to you know, provide for black labor. Uh uh you, you know, Pan-Africanists and other, you know, variations of nationalists, like Garvey said, we can use this money to develop our own businesses, not as crass black capitalists per se, but as a way to develop a, 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 a kind of national black nationalist wealth from which we can develop our national economies and armies and presses and health care and eventually. Continent of Africa, so I mean, it, it, it you know, and then as it got projected all the way through today, a very a variety of, of, uh, of activists and business people, uh, and some of them crass uh, to my you know point of view shady.
0: Uh, you know, for one reason or another and it gets a great applause line i mean
1: one of the first reasons why i wanted to start uh, you know learning more about it myself was because in the, even the most radical activist spaces that i found myself in going back you know a couple of decades now i would hear people talking about this and i you know i was like well you know how on the one hand do we need a revolution but on the other hand we have all this money that somehow we could use better and and you know heal ourselves and, and then only to come find out now, I, I think I can fully explain, and I hope that this book you know, does some way to do, you know, help in that mission, uh, why so many of us have believed this, this mythology and why it, in fact, is
2: mythology. Now, you, you also, um, as we continue to kind of drill down on the propaganda, um, we talked about how uh, some of the unexpected ways in which it pops up Um, And popular thought. Um, One of the one of the things that you broke down in your book, um, one of the analogies was the song by, of course, uh, legendary hip hop artist Jay Z, the story of OJ and how that correlates or not correlates, rather, but how that propels the myth of black buying power um, through you know, popular hip-hop music. I mean, Jay-Z's probably the most well-known hip-hop artist on the planet. Can you talk a little bit about the analogy that you made uh, in that particular section of the book?
1: Yeah, I was just trying to show, you know, first of all, I mean, Jay-Z's been my biggest contradiction for a long time. I mean, I, was <laughs> my favorite artist for a long time, but,
2: but politically, you know, he was, you know, the antithesis to where I, where I am. Yeah, we're past and, kneeling, remember? I mean, exactly, right? I mean, he's, Politically, he's been horrible. I mean, even back before he stepped on that stage, just his music politically is is not where I've ever been. But I have to admit that I've often loved it. I've even,
1: you know, gone to see the man perform live. And mm-hmm. It was one of the best shows I've ever seen, to be honest. Back when he was doing smaller shows, not not these stadium things. But right. my point is, and he's a consummate performer. He's just like, this is the. Comp- was that he is in many ways the perfect encapsulation of the problem because he is brilliant. He right. is a hustler. Right. He is extremely
0: talented. He is, you know, uh, you know he's on the, the, the pulse of what's hot. You know, he's, he's, he, he's, I mean, he's a brilliant marketer. He puts himself
1: everywhere and has been doing it for decades. I mean, he has survived all kinds of legal and social and all kinds of other scandals uh, to, to be where he still is, uh, uh, even as he's at this point, you know, uh, you know secondary to, to, to Beyoncé in his marriage in terms of the status or whatever. But, but his career has been quite remarkable. But, but uh, so what I, what I was trying to show in this, it, 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 with reference to the story of OJ, was to talk about that. First of all, when the song came out, it, it was projected as sort of a revolutionary, radical critique uh, and the images in the video help present and promote that uh, but, but the content lyrically is really promoting again this myth of black buying power of black capitalism and this idea that black people are poor because we're financially illiterate or stupid or slow or or whatever or as he says you know makes the point about the the the, the New York uh, real estate thing Dumbo but also the the, the Disney Dumbo so you know, uh, uh, anyway, so 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 I was just trying to point out that, that this is how sophisticated the problem that we're dealing with is because it comes packaged, a in 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 you know among the most brilliant, and, <clears throat> brilliant and talented artists, and and the myth is also packaged. Uh, so
0: it's packaged culturally and stylistically as as, as as you know something easily digestible, but then it's also packaged as revolutionary. Mm. It, it, it is something that, that Jay-Z can
1: use or that uh, even activists can use to get applause lines by saying, you know, we have all this money and then it sounds like you've, you've exposed your audience to something new and that we're just using it ignorantly. So if you follow me and think like me and do what I do. Then you'll you'll you know we can all get free and it's not real and, and that's not true. But again, you know, in terms of the propaganda, you know, uh, uh, system or, or process that I'm I'm also trying to talk about, this is how beautiful it works. Uh, and hip hop, you know, has been a uh,
0: from day one has been a commercial venture that has uh, produced
1: a lot of mythologies, even as it's helped produce a lot of revolutionary thoughts as well. And this is one case where. You know, it it, it it performs that sort of uh, state and business function of saying black people you're poor because of you, and if you take better advantage of the system and do like Jews and Asians, like he also says in the song, and you know you can, or, or Jews and other white folks, you can uh, you, you can improve yourselves. But uh, you know, the contradiction, of course, that he shows symbolically in the video is that. And that is also inherent in that, or even are that, that 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 ill logic mm. is that what separates black people as being black is that black people cannot do what other groups can do. So the idea that there's somehow simply a mental deficiency collectively in the community that says, well, we're not doing what other <clears throat> people are doing is is again part of the mythology. The fact of blackness is is is, is the fact of being un, in, incapable in the white supremacist, anti-black capitalist society of doing what other groups do. That's why revolutions
2: are required. Now, you talked about the intent behind uh, some of some of the black business class uh, in regards to putting forth this mythology of black buying power is to lure white advertising dollars to their particular companies. But you also discuss another intent, um, in your book in regards to the, the the promotion of the myth of black buying power and that's that's to quell or squash um radical protest or revolutionary protests as a method of achieving uh equity and equality for black Americans. Can you can you discuss that a little bit? Sure and I and, and though I didn't predict this, unfortunately this COVID moment is <coughs>
1: First of all, going back a couple of years, something that I did cover in the book a little bit, uh, the elite have been warning and worrying about people hitting the streets, not necessarily as a result of police violence, but as a result of the, the economic suffering that they're enduring. So they have been arguing without obviously going to something revolutionary for some sort of redistributionist politics, because even the elite were saying we have too much. And we still we, we can't be fighting these people. We need them to be poor, but but serviceable. We can't have them be poor and and and, uh, and, and riotous. So uh, uh, we got to give them something, um, that, you know. But but what, what? But the beauty again of propaganda. And this is you know this is something that that, that we really have been encouraged, obviously, uh, but encouraged to to. Um, not give pay enough. Not pay enough attention to mm. the power and importance that propaganda have played in this country, particularly since World War II, uh, in managing public opinion. It's something that the elite have, have sent you know billions of dollars into in terms of research and, and commercial advertising to promote certain ideas and to learn how to manipulate people through all forms uh, of messaging. Uh, uh, so that's that's you know in part. Uh, 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 you know, one thing that that has to be, you know, again taken into consideration and given much more attention and focus Uh, You know what? My bad I just lost sight of the question. I apologize
2: No, no, it's all good. It's all good We we were discussing how um, basically the the, I think you answered it pretty well how the myth um, is put forward by certain uh, individuals in, in a position of uh, elitism, if you will, the powers that be use that myth to squash revolutionary protests or basically to keep the masses quiet and placated so nothing else. Um, extreme jump saw so, so I think you answered that question yeah you answered that so, so, so that, that's again that, and that's why I was going down that line that propaganda has always been understood in this country particularly uh, uh,
0: in the post second world war but even going, you know earlier than that in this country in, in terms of the study of how to
1: manipulate public opinion to manage and really this is where even the concept of buying power originates uh, in the 19th century as the political and, and business elite were trying to manage the the public opinion of working class and poor and working people who were saying look we're producing all these products but you're not
0: paying us any more money uh we're not benefiting and all the wealth we're creating so they became more 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 unruly mm-hmm. uh so so one of the ways that that the, the the elite were looking to to deal with that was to produce these cost of living and buying power studies mm-hmm. so that the
1: elite could balance and make sure that 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 they were uh, exploiting working people enough to make as much money they could in terms of profit, but paying people enough that they could still go out and shop and spend and participate and feel like they're having fun and and being free in the society. So uh, uh, as that has advanced, to become more sophisticated. Uh, uh, And this is what what my book was covering in advance of this COVID crisis, but that we're now also seeing in in Mm -hmm. hyper real time, which is that the elite were saying, you know this is a problem we we have to figure out a way to give people a little bit more of the wealth that we're all is being generated here so that they don't come uh, attack us uh, and and mess things up so as a response now to to not only George Floyd's killing but people being out of jobs and people being home and people being You know, hyper aware and having more time to pay attention to all of this, and then to have time to do something about it in response with with all the frustration and fear, et cetera, and anxiety. Uh, uh, We have people busting out into the streets, Uh, uh, and as a response to that, here comes this new wave of propaganda. Whether you have hundred millionaire politicians taking a knee in kente cloth or jamie diamond the, the head of jp morgan chase taking a knee right. literally in front of his vault
2: right <laughs> literally literally in front of his vaults. literally in front of his vault literally in front of his vault, I mean, of his vault. but they're not opening those is vague end of racism or help black people uh uh proclamations
0: uh, right yeah empty proclamation but not having right. it mean, give anything right. over, in terms of money or redistribution of services and, and, and benefits it's fine. So that's how the propaganda I think is is is
1: anyway, that's how we're seeing it play yeah. out. Right. in one of the elite mainstream parties. And that will be a pathway to success. And yet decades later, here's the evidence that it's not because we're literally having this conversation in the middle of both a pandemic uh, of a virus and a pandemic of capitalism and anti-Blackness that has so many people out in the streets right now.
2: Right. So in the face of, in the face of calls for revolutionary change in terms of the institutions, for example, right now, of law enforcement, Instead of um, being offered, uh, those substantive changes were offered the Wakanda visa. So I I understand exactly what you're saying. Um, do, Do Black Americans cling to the myth of Black buying power because in the face of the irrefutable history of political, physical, and mental violence of racism and white supremacy, we feel helpless to control other aspects of our lives? Well, I do think that's a great question, but I mean, I do think that the
1: first reason so many of us cling to it is because it's so heavily propagated as, as a powerful myth for so long. Uh, and as I try to highlight a little bit in the book, if you think about how often and it, 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 it's been repeated uh, and in so many different spaces from so many different people, it's almost impossible to think that any of us wouldn't believe it. But I do think that one of the bigger problems uh, that that helps support the belief is that uh, that it is it, it does allow for the myth and the fantasy that that there will not need to be the kind of uh, radical change or conflict that would be required.
0: And I don't necessarily mean violent physical conflict, but there has to be some sort of conflict with.
1: Uh, the system as it currently functions if it's to change and, and become something that that actually helps people in the way that we fantasize or think that we want you know we're, we're headed towards with these with these myths so uh it, it is difficult and i get it a lot of the response that i've gotten over the years in the presentation of my argument has been visceral it has been uh, uh, and frankly illogical mm-hmm. uh but based on uh, the 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 i think the fear that well if can't do it this way, then that means we have to really do something else or some things else. Uh, and, and that, uh, it will be a little more complicated and difficult than I thought. Uh, and as opposed to, well, I could just buy black and be smarter and, and get free. Well, that's just not at all how wealth is accumulated or how capitalism works. And, uh um, So, unfortunately, yes, I I think that has a lot to do with not only why this myth persists, but why a lot of radical ideas and a lot of radical histories uh, uh, struggle not only against the propaganda against them, but struggle against the ideas that they encourage people, unfortunately, to have to consider.
2: Can voting and legislation deliver to Black Americans what has eluded us since the 17th century?
0: I mean, theoretically,
1: yes, in the sense that as I'm arguing in this book, all of all that occurs is a result of public policy. Mm. So, uh, uh,
0: so yes, theoretically, we could enact laws nationally that redistribute. As I'm arguing in the book, the twenty trillion dollar gross domestic product that
1: we all help create in this country every year, we could we could write tariffs and trade agreements and interest rate banking regulations, we could, I mean, there's any number of things theoretically that could occur, which is why uh, the myth is propagated so much to discourage our focus on politics, to, to, to discourage uh, the idea that, that we, we can engage politically and with the real power that we actually have, which is social movement and political power. Uh, we don't have economic power and cannot ever get it. Uh, in this current arrangement. So so that's part of the mythology and the function of the mythology. Now, it, it's, it's certainly not to say that it's going to be any easier or that it's going to be easy in, in terms of developing movements and politics, which is, again, why it's been so difficult to develop alternative political parties and alternative political movements within parties uh, because there's so much propaganda, as we're seeing right now, that tells everybody you have to vote for Biden Otherwise, the world will come to an end with a second, second, uh, uh, you know, session, uh, uh, second 40 years of Trump. Um, but this is part, as I would argue, the mythology that got us here in the first place. That that that, uh, that is is part of the problem. So uh, theoretically, yes, the vote could do a lot of things. Uh, it, 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 I mean, if you think about it, you can, again, in theory, enact any law. Any, any set of laws or, or policies could be developed if there was national will for it. Uh, that's the difficult part, and that's where the kinds of, of uprisings that we're seeing in the streets are, are, are necessary. They just need to be better organized, and that's why a lot of other uh, political and social efforts and, and, and uh, endeavors and, and actions need to be engaged in uh, in an organized fashion, with because that's the only way... Uh, Uh, that again, the theoretical possibilities of the vote could, could evolve, um, as currently constituted, where we're just always voting for whatever Democrat is promoted to us as desperation, uh, then no. And, And that's again, part of the trick bag that we're in, which is going back to your previous question, why it is so difficult and at times scary to consider, the conclusions uh,
2: uh, uh, of the base of core argument in the myth of black buying power. Final question on this particular topic. Um, to, to be clear, uh, your book is not telling people to not bank with black banks. You're not saying don't patronize black businesses. Overall, what you're saying is that those things alone isn't going to be enough to move the needle to where we want to be in terms of equality and equity. So I wanna I want just just kind of give you a, a, a moment to speak to that because I don't want the listener to listen to this and come away with well, what Jared Ball said, we ain't supposed to go with no black banks and we ain't supposed to go to no black businesses. He anti-black. So I wanna give you a moment to speak to that. I appreciate
1: that. I that's been coming up in debate and argument around this for decades, for a decade now. Uh, so, no, I'm not saying don't do it. I'm, I'm, in fact, I'm saying anything and everything that has ever been on the table for black liberation should be considered and in and, and, and ways engaged. So I'm, I'm not at all saying that. What I am saying is that banking black and buying black and boycotting uh, will not have the effect that people think it will when they claim or or hear claims advocating those actions. Uh, and I think as I, you know, I think, I, you know, in, in, in you know, summary version, <clears throat> I think I explained that very well in the book, but I think what highlights it the best for me is the exchange that's recounted in the book that I had with the president of, um, of industrial bank here in DC, uh, the black owned bank, the, the, black ownership and black family runs for, you know, going back to several generations. Mm. Um, And if you read the section or or if you ever, you
0: know, you can even, you know, hear it. uh, It was initially in a radio exchange. Uh, But if you read that section, read the transcript of the exchange,
1: you see he does not, unfortunately, you have to conclude that either he does not know what he's talking about or he's willfully lying. Because there is an interest that he does, you know, he does benefit in some ways. Uh, Though I think more symbolically than financially, actually, from having black people deposit, you know, their money in his bank.
2: Thank you once again to Dr. Ball. There is a part two. To our conversation, the topic is different, and it will run in a future episode. Thank you for listening. Please send any and all feedback to made you look podcast at gmail.com. M-A-D-E, the letter U, L O O K, podcast at gmail.com. If you wish to donate to the Made You Look Podcast so that we can continue to grow and bring more creative and informative content your way. Our Cash App cash tag is dollar sign $DSU01, $DSU01 in front. The opening audio clip in this episode was from a 1954 marketing short film created by Johnson Publishing with the help from the U.S. Department of Commerce. Johnson Publishing is known for starting Jet and Ebony Magazine, many years ago the second clip was from a Houston Texas news station KHOU 11 finally a correction Ludie Lytle was the first black woman law professor not the first black woman lawyer as I said in the interview that distinction belongs to Charlotte Ray the background music used for this episode was the city streets by Big Al Beats which was provided by Free Vibes the song is not copyrighted free to use for content creators and is licensed by creative commons as always be cool y'all see you on the next episode